Hi, this is Lori Denning, and this is my podcast, The 20 Minute Scriptorian, where we follow the Come Follow Me curriculum. I am a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter day Saints, and while this is an official, I am a believer in the gospel of Jesus Christ. A little bit scholarly, a little bit inspirational, this podcast will attempt to help us become better disciples of Christ. Join me, Scriptorians. Hey everyone, welcome back. We are finishing up the How to Read Apocalyptic Literature Part 3, which we're actually going to practice a little bit about what we've learned. So let's do that next. So um, if you haven't had a chance, go back and listen to those other two episodes. Otherwise, I think this will be kind of confusing. You could probably do it. Um, but with everything going on in the world, uh, I think a lot of people are wondering if it's time to uh, expect the second coming and the apocalypse, meaning the end of the world, and what is what are books like Revelation and, and Daniel and, and talking about. And so we've been kind of discussing that a little bit. Um, so I wanted to show you how uh, scholars approach it, and these are still believing scholars, so so know that, that uh, you can always be inspired too. All right, so in the earlier episodes, we talked about episode one, what is apocalyptic literature? And we discussed a little bit that is does not mean the end of the world. That is the current meaning of the word apocalypse, but that is not what it actually means. It has nothing to mean like that. So it actually means a revelation or a, a view, a peek behind the curtain. So it's a revelation. It reveals you get to see what it's really about, what's life happening. And if you think about the stories where people have a vision or a dream. They're they're usually invited into God's throne room. They see God, uh, the Garden of Eden. So you, you see the way that life really is rather than what it looks like to us as mortals. And so it's a revealing, it's a, a peak. And so that's kind of what we talked about. We went through some examples, but there are a lot of examples. If you think of about any example in the scripture in which a prophet has a revelation of some kind or a vision, a dream, a peeking into God's reality. You you see a lot of them. So you, this year we've been reading about Lehi and Nephi and even Joseph Smith, uh, Sidney Rigdon. And then you might think all the way back to Eden when uh, Adam and Eve are walking and talking with God and they have kind of a different view of, of what it's like. Um, reality. Abraham has a lot of apocalypses. Uh, Moses does as well, right? He sees the burning bush and in the burning bush, he sees a man sitting there and then he talks to, talks to him. And then up on Sinai, uh, God talks to um, Moses again. So Moses has a lot of apocalypses. Uh, Jacob has the vision, the famous vision of Jacob and the Jacob's ladder, right? Where he sees um, the combination of uh, heaven and earth being combined where there's this this temple um, idea where heaven and earth are combined you see them with uh, Joseph of Egypt Isaiah Hulda the prophetess um, Paul Stephen on and on and on and on so so there's just a lot of examples and once you start thinking about them you're like oh there are a lot of these so they look at life and existence but maybe not the way we see it that's not the whole story so this prophet can see the reality they see God's kingdom they see his purposes they see the plan of salvation. So as they start to tell us these stories, we start to see it. Now remember, they're layered. They use lots of symbols and some of the symbols we talked about and many of them are used over and over again throughout these different visions. And so you see something like John's revelation that we tend to go to, the book of Revelation. 
he is like he's it's a mosaic he's almost cutting and pasting these visions from from Moses and from Ezekiel and and from places you know um or they look up and they see um God sitting above in the blue sapphire dome and then he's seeing the same things and so it's just you're just gonna the more you can inundate yourself with these other stories you'll see where the prophets are trying to describe the same story and they'll use some of the same description Daniel 7 they see um, the son of man and the ancient of days and the ancient of days has woolly hair and and this you know, voice like thunder and then you'll hear Joseph Smith it sounds like a rushing wind and and um, you'll hear uh, just just these over and over these images trying to portray either what they were really like or an image of what it was like or a way to describe what it was like and so so the more you can interdate yourself with that you'll kind of see the big picture which is our rule number one um, also how to use those uh, rule number three, which we talked about, which was looking at the symbols. So, so I, I'm doing what we said I'm not, what I shouldn't. And that's, we, we're just going to take a piece today. We're going to take Revelation 11 is what I've chosen. Um, but if you want to do it right, go back and frankly, read all the scriptures. Just read them all, every one of them. And start really in, uh, inundating yourself in the scriptures and then they'll you'll see the commonalities uh, also if you can't do that which i realize might take a few years then read all the apocalypses read, read the visions and the revelations specifically so the ones some of we we mentioned and and then you'll see where they're quoting from each other and you'll say oh this is the same thing so go and read those isaiah ezekiel um and see if they don't help make sense all right and then if you're going to read read the book of Revelation. So the number one rule we had was look at the big picture. So again, I can go on and on. This is going to take a lifetime, but it's the plan of salvation. So if you get lost or I get lost, go back to that and say, well, what's the big picture trying to tell me? And then sometimes you'll just have to skip parts, but in the in the end you'll go, ah, it is the big picture. So if you ever feel like you're getting off track, you probably are, and it should come back to the same big picture. So, um, so let's do that. Then um, read the whole book. So instead of reading a chapter, which again, this is exactly what we're going to do today. Sorry for time. I'm breaking my own rule. Um, but read the whole book of Revelation. If you're going to read Revelation, take it as part of the whole. What's the whole message trying to tell? And the book of Revelation is a whole story. You're going to say, but Lori, there's this story about the churches at the beginning. And then all of a sudden it's this vision in chapter four and five. Mm -hmm. Yep. Still part of the same story. So Try to look at what's the whole story and where is the section that you're reading fit in. Um, and another hint is uh, read it out loud. Uh, the book of Revelation specifically says, and I think it's 1-3, that when you hear it. So these these were letters, right? And they were meant to be read out loud. So you might want to listen to it. You might see or hear different things. Also try a different translation. Uh, King James is a little clunky sometimes. So it uh, has some old, old words and references. So you might try a different translation of scripture um, and then jump back into the Book of Mormon if you can and you'll find it ties out better. Okay, so look at the big picture. Uh, again, I can go on and on there. So that's it. Now, number two, we're going to trace the ideas. So we're going to look at symbols as concepts. It's not a code. So if you start going, well, this equals that, and then that equals that, you know, I'm, I can just, oh, I'm cringing. It's probably not right. So um, also, it just doesn't seem like how scriptures work. So it's not a code, it's concept. Remember what we learned in Doctrine and Covenants 77. So go back to those. Now, again, we also mentioned 
look at the other references. So if you're reading something, some of them I think we miss because we're not steeped in the language of the scriptures like maybe we should be. And so you'll find they're using the same exact descriptions. Like I said, that the woolly hair and the mount, you know, the voice of thunder. And uh, there's another one, um, trumpets, like it'll say, you know, God, he, uh, or John turns and he hears a man speaking and his voice is like a trumpet and it's the Lord. And that is an almost exact reference from Mount Sinai. So so if you go back to these other stories, you'll see how they're little mosaics where, you know, those tile pictures where they break up the tiles and then it, it looks, um, the mosaic makes one big picture. So they're taking these tiles from these other revelations or these other scriptures or these other um, visions and, and putting them into something where you're like, hey, this is kind of the language of the apocalypse. So, so look at those. Um, also, look at the applied meaning, which was step four. Look, so we did number one, big picture. Two, trace the ideas. Three, if you're using symbols, make sure they're figurative, C, D, and C, 77. Then number four, look for the applied meaning. Meaning, there's an application for us. There's God's victory, for example, or Christ's redemption, or the reunion of heaven and earth, the plan of redemption for God's children, this application to our lives. I, I, I hesitate to say it's time to start prepping and things as the application. I mean, if you get that, I guess. But typically, I think they're telling us a lot of things about big picture. So look for that applied meaning, meaning the big picture application, God's victory, Christ's redemption, those kinds of things. Number five is the application. So whether it was the past, you're taking the preterist view saying this was all for the first century. What did it mean for them? What was it trying to tell them? Or if you think it was maybe even for their future or our future, most of you probably still think it's for our future, um, then what is the uh, application of that? So like, here's one example. So one of the big messages that you constantly get in the book of Revelation is that there's this big bad civilization. The civilization is sometimes called Egypt. In Revelation, you're going to see it called Egypt and Sodom and also Babylon. So while there were historical big bad civilizations, Egypt multiple times, you know, Moses we think of, and you think of Babylon uh, two times, right? Babel, the Tower of Babel, the original Babylon, and then the later Babylon in the same area with the time of, uh, you know, Isaiah and, and Ezekiel. And then you think of Sodom and we say, oh yeah, remember the story of uh, Abraham and the cities on the plain and Sodom and Gomorrah. And then there are some times where it's even, it says the holy or the city that Christ was crucified in the book of Revelation. So you're like, is that Jerusalem? But I think we're, what's happening is they take a concept that you know, something literal, Egypt or Babylon, and then they, the scriptures will take it and blow it into something figurative, a big bad civilization and they and here's how you can tell in this example they use them right in a row in revelation it's egypt and sodom and the city which which the lord was crucified so you know it's not trying to describe a specific place those are three different places across three different timelines they must be talking about a concept so that's the application part Take a big step back and say, what are these big pictures they're trying to take? If you were trying to describe a big concept, you were peeling back the layer and you were trying to see the world as it really was or see that God's trying to show us what how he sees existence, he's going to try to use these examples, something we can grab onto. Sometimes, of course, it's literal, but in these examples, you're going to see big applications. Is there a big, bad civilization today? And the answer is always, typically, 
Yes, maybe it was the Lamanites for the Nephites. Maybe it is um, something current in our current example. Is it going to be something specific? Maybe, but it may be something that just happens over and over until the end of time. All right, that's enough practice. Let's jump in and do a little bit of Revelation 11 and see what we can learn. Crack open your scriptures. Let's read a little bit together, and then we're going to try to do it. We will not be able to get through that much, but we want to kind of practice what we're learning, okay? All right, let's go to Revelation 11. One thought before we read. Remember, I'm doing exactly what we said we weren't going to, which is I'm not looking at the big picture. So you need to know coming into this that we're already well into a number of visions and and sightings kind of we'll call it uh, the revelation itself that John is having and so we're way into the the middle part so we're way out of context but um, let's jump in and see what it says and there was given me a reed like unto a rod and the angel stood saying rise and measure the temple of God and the altar and them that worship therein but the court which is without the temple leave out and measure it not for it is given to the Gentiles, and the holy city shall they tread under thy foot forty and two months. And I will give power under my two witnesses, and they shall prophesy a thousand two hundred and threescore days, clothed in sackcloth. These are the two olive trees and the two candlesticks standing before God of the earth. And if any man will hurt them, fire proceedeth out of their mouth and devoureth their enemies. And if any man will hurt them, he must in this manner be killed. These have the power to shut heaven, that it rain not in the days of their prophecy, and have power over waters to turn them to blood and to smite the earth with all, all plagues as often as they will. And when they shall have finished their testimony, the beast that ascendeth out of the bottomless pit shall make war against them and shall overcome them and kill them and their dead bodies shall lie in the street of the great city which spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt and also our Lord also our Lord was crucified uh, where also our Lord was crucified and they of the people of kindreds and tongues and nations shall see their dead bodies three days and a half and shall not suffer their dead bodies to be put in graves and they that dwell upon the earth shall rejoice over them and make merry and shall send gifts to one another because these two prophets tormented them that dwelt on the earth. And after three days and a half, the spirit of life from God entered into them and they stood upon their feet and great fear fell upon them which saw, which saw them. And they heard a great voice from heaven saying unto them, come up hither. And they ascended up to heaven in a cloud and their enemies beheld them. And the same hour was there given a great earthquake, and the tenth part of the city fell, and the earthquake were slain of men seven thousand, and the remnant were affrighted and gave glory to the God of heaven. The second woe is past, and behold, the third woe cometh quickly. All right, so there was a lot. So where do you start? What did we learn? Big picture. So this is the whole vision. He's having a vision, which we know is a glimpse into reality as God sees it. It is an that's where we get the term unveiling, reveal, same word. Um, so we're getting that idea. We're peeling back the layers and we're going to see the way that reality really is in this vision. And part of this is going to be the history, the 
future all rolled into one and we're going to see a few main characters. What were some of the main characters that you heard? You're going to say, Laurie, I heard about two prophets. You got it. Two prophets. So let's keep that in mind. So there's the story of two prophets. What other things, what other main characters or main events are happening in the story? Well, we had another character, which was the beast that it said it ascendeth out of a bottomless pit. So it was this adversary against the two prophets. So two prophets, a beast. All right. And then there's an action that's going to happen. First, there's going to be a command to measure the temple. And again, the vision comes to from God to Christ to an angel to John. And so John is saying the angel stood and told me to uh, give me a reed like a rod, like a measuring stick. It says measure the temple and the altar and all of those that worship therein. So this is the setting. He's seeing a vision of those that are of the church, that are of the covenant, that are within by the altar, that are worshiping. Now you might say, Lori, that's actually the temple. Could be, but I think we're taking big pictures. This is going to be the church, the faithful, okay? Those that are faithful. And he's going to say, measure these people and the temple. And what does he measure? He says, but don't measure the outside part, right? Because remember how it's kind of uh, concentric circles, it gets more holy. You should go into the ancient temple. Don't do the outside part. That part is just, is left to the Gentiles, right? And they're going to, the holy city, this, the center, right, the city, and then there's the temple, and in the temple, there's, in the middle of that is the altar, so it's kind of going in, in, in. So it's saying, you're measuring from the inside out, and when you look out, leave them alone. And for 40 and two months, so we're going to jot down some numbers here, 40 and two months, 42 months. And then there was another date. So while we're looking, look at that other one, which had a date because these dates are going to be kind of important. Where is it? 1,000? Uh, well, there was three and a half days. So it said that it was three days and a half. So there are three and a half days. So there's another number we should kind of watch for. Okay. And then there was the um, 7,000 that were slain, right? There was that at the very, very end. Oh, oh, here it is. Uh, right at the very beginning, um, in the third verse, it was the, about the two, they shall prophesy a thousand, two hundred, and three score days. So you have a couple numbers here. So we're going to make that note that they're these numbers re kind of repeating, but different. So take a look at that. But again, you had 42 months, and then right afterwards, a thousand, two hundred, and three score days. And if you're really good at math, how many months is... 1,260 days. Uh, that's what three scores, uh, 20 each. So how many days, how many months is that? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Okay. So you're just going to make some notes. These are the big pictures of kind of what's going on. So first we're measuring the temple where say this is something there. And then there are going to be the characters that there are going to be people, these, uh, the, the people outside the nations, the evil, the Gentiles that are going to come and tread underneath for a bunch of time. And then they're going to be two witnesses and they're going to prophesy for a bunch of time. We're going to learn about them. And then there's going to be this event um, where the beast is going to rise up and it's going to kill them. And then those two prophets are going to lie dead in the street for three days and a half. Okay. All right. What's happening? Any, any clue, any idea? So you're going to have the good guys, the two prophets, the bad guy, 
the beast that rises up out of the pit. Now, this beast, like many beasts, allusions in the Old Testament, um, are going to be evil because it could be the beast, a Satan, anyone following him, the Antichrist, or just followers of uh, non-disciples of Christ that are pretty bad. So you'll see the beast all the way back from Genesis oh, about five with Cain and Abel, um, where it says that sin uh, creepeth, uh, what is it, crouches at the door and wish to have thee, talks to Cain. So this idea of kind of bestiality becoming less human and becoming into our, our passions and desires and anger. And so beast, but then literal beasts, Satan as a beast could be a snake, could be a dragon, could be something other beastly. And so these beasts are the bad guy. So again, big guy or bad guy, good guys. The good guys in this case are two prophets and we're going to hear a little about them. So there's quite a few verses on them. So let's say, what is it saying about them? It says that first they are two witnesses. We've heard that term before, two witnesses. The law of two witnesses, we get it from Leviticus, and it tells us that that's what the word will be established by, we also know by the mouth of two or three witnesses, two or three, three is the number of God, two is the number of witnesses, that they will be true, and that's why we send out missionaries and twos. So we'll have two witnesses. So these are two of them, not just one. They also say, that they are, right in verse 4, these are the two olive trees and the two candlesticks standing before the God of the earth. So are they men or are they olive trees or are they candlesticks? I think the terms with the two olive trees and the two candlesticks are also allusions to who they are, what kind of people they are, the representation they're making, and those are representations we have in other scriptures. So right in Revelation, we learn about candlesticks. What is that one? Well, in Zechariah 4, we learn that with the witnesses are um, the, that are olive trees. We hear that they're witnesses described as olive trees. And in these places, they're uh, both places of oil, which oil is usually connected with the spirit. So we learned that Zechariah 4.3, Zechariah 4.6, that not by my power, but by my spirit. So those are people who are full of the spirit. So these two are anointed to serve the Lord and they are full of the spirit, right? He goes on to say they're lampstands. And Zechariah also talks about a lampstand. John's has two, but he also, in the first couple chapters of Revelation, he uses the term lampstand six different times, each referring to churches. So perhaps the witnesses are collective rather than individual and they stand for the church. So there are seven lampstands in chapter one and here there are two. So maybe it's only a part of the church or maybe it's just as part of the witnesses. So don't overlook the references though that, um, that it could be something else from another scripture. It could be these ideas of these two witnesses. It could be two people, could be part of the church, but it's certainly people with power and authority. We see the sealing power next. We also see that they are going to be witnesses and martyrs, and we also see that they're full of God's spirit. Okay, so we go, whatever they are, that's kind of the concept. Let's, we're running out of time. Let's touch on a couple more. We talked about those numbers. Um, so we said 42 months was the same as uh, 1,260 days, right? 
And so you're going to see that in chapter 12 too, or what's called a time times and a half, which you're going to see also in chapter 12, but also in Daniel a couple of times. And a time is a year, a times is two years and half a time is six months. So three and a half years. So you see a day, a day, a day and a half. So half of a week. So it's three and a half. So it's either three and a half um, years or three and a half days. It's not seven. So seven we know is um, the biblical time of the Sabbath. It's the time of perfection and completeness when God's work is completed. So if it's half of that, it isn't, it's going to happen on Wednesday. What it's saying is the work is not yet complete. It's part of its mission, but the mission isn't complete. And so while these, either the church and we could say that's in our dispensation or maybe in John's dispensation or maybe yet to come. But while the church or the prophets or those in authority are part of the way through their mission, they will be struck down by the beast. And yet they will be raised up and everyone will see it, right? Everyone will be able to witness it. So halfway through their mission. So if you take the story the good guys, the bad guys, a time of tumultuous and power of the, you know, evil. And then you say there's a time when the church or the power of the church or the prophets are going to be struck down. Maybe not literally, maybe literally, maybe it's Joseph and Hiram. Maybe it's saying that they will be through their mission, but not complete. And there will be a time when it looks like they're dead. And the people, the evil people will mock and laugh. And so they're like, oh, we didn't like all the messages the church was giving us. It was too hard. And yet now uh, we're glad they're dead. We're glad the church is under our foot. In the first century, that was certainly happening. In John's time, the apostles were being killed, literally. And so the church was kind of going underground and it was troublesome. And they might have said, oh, that was painful to watch those apostles walking around telling us all our bad things. So we killed them. And so in John's time, they would have had hope that in some day they'll be resurrected and the church will be regain its footing. In our day, maybe still yet to come. Maybe you see evidences of those now. All right. All right. That's as much as we're going to get to. But if you can see where you can kind of take an application, you can take these big concepts and you can roll it in. That the apocalypses, the uh, apocalyptic literature is awesome and it teaches us a lot and it gives us a chance to reflect on the big messages of the plan of salvation. All right, scholars, keep on studying, keep on reading, and we'll head back into Come Follow Me, Book of Mormon next.